Welcome to the Sioux City Journal for Monday, February 26th. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker, and here is our first story. Good food done the all-natural way. Red Valley Natural Food Chef creates healthy meals that taste great. This is by Earl Horlick out of Sioux City. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. This is a quote attributed to the Greek physician Hippocrates that Paula Hattatorian likes to repeat. In fact, the concept of healthy foods has become a way of life for the Sioux City transplant who was born into an Armenian family of restaurant owners. I grew up in Orange City, California, and was always surrounded by food, Kachatorian said. Yet the beef, lamb, and chicken flavored, favored by her parents was making her sick. When I was 10, my parents took me to doctors who said my body couldn't tolerate meat. Kachatorian explained, some people develop food allergies that they grow out of as they get older. My allergy to meat happened gradually, and it was something I never grew out of over time. Indeed, veganism is a central theme in both Kachatorian's personal life, as well as in her position as the chef at Red Valley Natural Foods Company, 600 Water Street. While I will cook meat for other people, it must be all natural, she said, inside of the store that specializes in locally raised meats, produce, canned ingredients, and non-grocery items. Plus, I make sure to give our customer plenty of vegan options. This included Kachatorian's sugar cookies that were not only vegan, but also gluten-free. She uses oat milk in place of dairy milk and different binding agents to give it a more cookie-like consistency. For spring rolls, she simply uses a multitude of fresh veggies rolled into a translucent wrap. You don't need to look hard to get ingredients in order for a more nutritious diet, Kachatorian said. Fresh fruits and vegetables are both healthy and easily accessible. It also helps if the food comes with a flavorsome sauce like her spring roll does. People like the spring rolls, but they go crazy over my homemade sauce, she said. I can't give you the ingredients because they're top secret, but everything that goes into it is vegan. Since setting up shop at Red Valley Natural Foods Company, Kachatorian has developed a small menu of ready-to-eat meals, including everything from pizzas to tacos to lasagnas. Even though they may taste similar to food you could find at a more conventional outlet, Kachatorian steers clear of heavily processed ingredients. We get a lot of, although, I'm sorry, just a minute. Here we go. Although she's a newcomer to Red Valley Natural Foods, Kachatorian is developing something of a fan base, according to Vianna Hobbs, who owns the store with her husband Jordan. We get a lot of travelers off of the interstate who discover our store, she explained. They'll ask if there's any place that offers vegan food, and I'll say, well, we just happen to have a professional chef, Paula, who would be happy to chat with you. Kachatorian chuckled after hearing Hobbs' enthusiastic praise. There seems to be more vegans out there, she said. More importantly, people are simply more knowledgeable when it comes to food. Even though she came into veganism due to health concerns, Kachatorian has long maintained food tastes better when you know the source. Things just taste better when they're all natural, she reasoned. Our next story, Sioux City may get another McDonald's. Floyd Boulevard spot would be seventh McDonald's in the city. We go from our veganism to McDonald's. Sioux City could be getting a seventh McDonald's restaurant. The Sioux City Council is expected to vote Monday on a resolution that would announce the city's intent to accept a proposal for McDonald's USA, Incorporated to purchase land at 3100 Floyd Boulevard in Floyd Valley Crossing. 
The restaurant would be McDonald's' second north side location in the city. The fast food chain also has a restaurant on Hamilton Boulevard. And McDonald's inside the Floyd Boulevard Walmart permanently closed amid the pandemic. Since the property is located in an urban renewal area, the city must follow the urban renewal law and give a 30-day notice of its intent to sell land in the combined Floyd River urban renewal area. Passage of the resolution would set an April 1st hearing date and authorize city staff to publish a required urban renewal notice on March 2nd. Honey Badger Development, a Minnesota-based developer and Domino's franchisee in Sioux City, also submitted a proposal to purchase and develop the property, which is directly south of Silver Star Car Wash, according to city documents. Staff recommends approval of the proposal from McDonald's USA, LLC. The purchase price, capital investment, and future tax revenue from the project are significantly more than the proposal from Honey Badger Development, the document stated. In addition, a McDonald's restaurant is likely to drive more traffic to Northern Valley Crossing, benefiting the other businesses in the area and making the city's two remaining lots more attractive to future developers. McDonald's USA LLC proposed purchasing the 1.09-acre parcel for $500,000, which is above the city's asking price of $6.50 per square foot, or $310,096. The company would spend an estimated $4.9 million in capital expenditures for the project, hire an estimated 72 full and part-time employees, and pay the required $34,389 for participation in the regional stormwater pond. The restaurant would be constructed similar to existing McDonald's locations in the city. Honey Badger Development offered the city the property's asking price and proposed spending roughly $2.4 million to build a 6,000-square-foot shopping center, which would house a Domino's with a pickup window and two or three complementary businesses. Honey Badger would contribute 40 full- and part-time jobs at the new Domino's location within the first year of business and cover the development's share of the regional stormwater detention pond construction costs. The 29-acre Northern Valley Crossing, which is nearly built out, is also home to an Aldi grocery store, Pizza Ranch, the shops at Northern Valley, Dollar Tree, and Telco Triad. Aftershock Ventures plans to build a five-unit retail center on the commercial site, with the anchor tenant being a Starbucks coffee shop. Heat record from 1896 may be tied. Monday's high forecast is 74 degrees, much colder Tuesday in Sioux City. An unseasonably warm Monday in Sioux City is expected to rival and perhaps tie a heat record set in 1896. The balmy temperature will be nearly double the average temperature for this time of year. The National Weather Service in Sioux Falls is forecasting a high temperature Monday of 74 degrees. The record high temperature for February 26 in Sioux City is 75 degrees, set when Grover Cleveland was president. It's going to be very close, said Jennifer Hacker, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Sioux Falls. The normal high temperature for this time of year is 38 degrees, Hacker said. Much of northwest Iowa, including Woodbury County, is under a red flag warning beginning at 10 a.m. Monday due to the combined effects of wind, forecasts call for breezes of 15 to 20 miles per hour, with gusts up to 30 miles per hour, and very low humidity, as low as 17%. The National Weather Service warns that any fires will likely spread very quickly and outdoor burning is not recommended. 
Temperatures are expected to plummet by about 30 degrees on Tuesday, with a high in the low 40s. We've got a really strong cold front coming through late Monday night into Tuesday morning, Hacker said. And so whatever temperature you see probably at midnight is going to be the high for the day on Tuesday. By the time people are actually waking up and getting moving, it's probably going to be down to around 40 degrees. And then it's going to kind of hold right there through the morning, but then fall into the 30s through the afternoon. Snow is a possibility on Tuesday. Very light accumulations for the Sioux City area, probably just a dusting, maybe a quarter inch at most, Hacker said. Wednesday is likely to be the coldest day of the week, with a high temperature that might not get above freezing. The temperature is expected to climb back above average for the rest of the week. South Dakota Corrections Secretary. New women's prison could be filled with addicts on day one. This is by John Holt out of Pierre, South Dakota. The state's new women's prison may well be full when it opens, South Dakota's Corrections Secretary said this past week, a reality largely attributable to the prevalence of drug abuse in the penal population. The new prison will free up space for addiction treatment, but the secretary said she's concerned about the potential for more crowding in the women's facilities if the state doesn't find a way to address its approach to substance abuse. Lawmakers heard those warnings during debate on funding for the Rapid City Minimum Security Prison, which passed the full Senate this week after a hearing in the budget-setting Joint Appropriations Committee. Senate Bill 50 would provide additional money needed to cover the project's $87 million price tag after legislators set aside a portion of the money last year. Lawmakers have allocated another $567 million for a proposed new men's prison in Lincoln County to replace the aging penitentiary in Sioux Falls. Few lawmakers have questioned the need. The state's only women's prison, located in Pierre, houses twice the number of inmates it's designed for packed into classrooms and a gymnasium. The state currently pays Hughes County to hold more than 70 female inmates at the county jail. The new prison will have an addiction wing, and its existence will open up space for treatment in the current prison. But some are concerned that a new facility for women in a state that imprisons most of its female convicts for drug use could set the state up for more costly prison projects. We need new facilities because we currently have incredible overcrowding, defense lawyer Tara Larson said. But I just want you guys to think about the fact that if you build it, they will fill it, and we may or may not be back here again. Corrections Secretary Kelly Wasco, when asked about growth projections in the female inmate population, said she'd like to see her agency collaborate with lawmakers and the United Judicial System on diversion programs for addicts. If we don't do something to address the substance use in South Dakota, we're going to open up a facility and we're going to be right at capacity, Wasco said. A consulting firm called the DLR Group hinted at the same issue in the report it issued on prison facilities in 2022. The report has served as the basis for discussions on new prisons in South Dakota, and it identified the women's prison as the area of highest need. At the time of the study, 60% of female inmates were imprisoned for drugs. The state had acknowledged, the report says at the outset, that absent significant criminal justice reform, as the state's population continues to grow, the prison population may surpass the operating capacities. In the latest annual report from the Department of Corrections, drug possession and drug ingestion mark the highest level 
felony for 69% of the women imprisoned in South Dakota for a nonviolent offense. Such offenses represent 81% of all crimes committed by female inmates in the state. It's not the first time South Dakota's approach to drug use has drawn scrutiny or sparked debate. Drug policy questions bubbled in the background as the peer facility packed more and more women into its cells, classrooms, and recreation areas. A Crime Trends report from February 2023, the latest available on the Corrections website, shows a 66% increase in drug crimes since 2013, the same year former Governor Dennis Doggard, Doggard signed a sweeping criminal justice reform bill into law designed in part to hold an, the need for new prisons at bay. Absent a change in approach, South Dakota should expect to have more than 4,500 inmates by 2022, the state's 2012 Criminal Justice Initiative work group's final report reads. It also suggests that without reform, the state would need new prisons in the same time frame. As of January, there were 3,690 inmates incarcerated in South Dakota prisons in total, well below the feared-for figure of 4,500. The female inmate population, however, has far surpassed the report's projections for what might happen without reform. For women, the report said the state would reach its female system capacity of 498 beds by 2015. In 2015, the female population hovered at around 400. By 2016, the figure hit nearly 500. There were 558 women in Department of Corrections custody as of January. Nonviolent offenses and violent offenses alike tend to have ties to substance abuse. When speaking to legislators during committee hearings, Wesco has repeatedly stressed the importance of addiction treatment for female inmates. Honestly, 98% of the females in our custody have a substance use disorder, Wasco said this week. On the Senate floor, Sioux Falls Democrat Reynold Nasiba worried aloud that the state's new prison could make it easier to ignore the impact of the state's ingestion and possession laws on women struggling with addiction. I worry that we're trying to arrest our way out of a public health problem, Nasiba said. Okay, we're going to turn to the Nation and World section. In the Middle East, ceasefire in the works. Netanyahu says deal would delay Rafa offensive somewhat. Saudi Tel Aviv, Israel. An Israeli military offensive in Gaza's southernmost city of Rafa could be delayed somewhat if a deal is reached for a weeks-long ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Sunday, and claimed that total victory in the territory would come within weeks once the offensive begins. Netanyahu confirmed to CBS that a deal is in the works with no details. Talks resumed Sunday in Qatar at the specialist level, Egypt's state-run Al-Kahira TV reported, citing an Egyptian official as saying discussions would follow in Cairo with the aim of achieving the ceasefire and release of dozens of hostages held in Gaza, as well as Palestinians imprisoned by Israel. Meanwhile, Israel is nearing the approval of plans to expand its offensive against the Hamas militant group to Rafah on the Gaza-Egypt border, where more than half the besieged territory's population of 2.3 million have sought refuge. Humanitarian groups warn of catastrophe. Rafah is Gaza's main entry point for aid. The U.S. and other allies say Israel must avoid harming civilians. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan 
told NBC that President Joe Biden hadn't been briefed on the Rafa plan. We believe that this operation should not go forward until or unless we see a plan to protect civilians, Sullivan said. Heavy fighting continued in parts of northern Gaza, the first target of the offensive, where the destruction is staggering. We're trapped, unable to move because of the heavy bombardment, said Gaza City resident Ayman Abu Awad. In nearby Jabayala, market vendor Um Ayad showed off a leafy weed that people pick from the harsh, dry soil and eat. We have to feed the children. They keep screaming they want food. We cannot find food. We don't know what to do, she said. Also on Sunday, Israel's defense minister vowed to step up attacks on Lebanon's Hezbollah militant group, even if a ceasefire is reached with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Hezbollah, which has been exchanging fire with Israel throughout the war in Gaza, has said it will halt its nearly daily attacks on Israel if a ceasefire is reached in Gaza. But Israeli Defense Minister Yov Gallant said that anyone who thinks a temporary ceasefire for Gaza will also apply to the Northern Front is mistaken. Philippe Lazzarini, Commissioner General of the UN Agency for Palestinians, said they haven't been able to deliver food to northern Gaza since January 23rd. Israel said that 245 trucks of aid entered Gaza on Sunday, fewer than half the number that entered daily before the war. A senior official from Egypt, which along with Qatar is a mediator between Israel and Hamas, has said the draft ceasefire deal includes the release of up to 40 women and older hostages in return for up to 300 Palestinian prisoners. Zelensky, death toll at 31,000. Defense Minister says delays in aid costly for people and territories. This is out of Kiev, Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Sunday that 31,000 Ukrainian soldiers have been killed in action in the two years since Russia launched its full-scale invasion. Zelensky said the number was far lower than estimates given by Russian President Vladimir Putin's government. 31,000 Ukrainian military personnel have been killed in this war. Not 300,000, not 150,000, not whatever Putin and his deceitful circle have been lying about. But nevertheless, each of these losses is a great sacrifice for us, Zelensky said at the Ukraine Year 2024 Forum in Kyiv. The Ukrainian leader said... He wouldn't disclose the number of troops that were wounded or missing. He also said that tens of thousands of civilians were killed in occupied areas of Ukraine, but said that no exact figures would be available until the war was over. I don't know how many of our civilians they killed. We don't, he said. It's the first time that Kyiv has confirmed the number of its losses since the start of Russia's full-scale war on February 24, 2022. Russia has provided few... Official casualty figures, the most recent data from the Defense Ministry published in January 2023, pointed to just over 6,000 deaths, although reports from U.S. and U.K. officials put that number significantly higher. A U.S. intelligence report declassified in mid-December 2023 estimated that 315,000 Russian troops had been killed or wounded in Ukraine. If accurate, the figure would represent 87% of the roughly 360,000 troops Russia had before the war, according to the report. Independent Russian news outlet 
Mediazona said Saturday that about 75,000 Russian men died in 2022 and 2023 fighting in the war. A joint investigation published by Mediazona and Medusa, another independent Russian news site, indicates that the rate of Russia's losses in Ukraine is not slowing and that Moscow is losing about 120 men a day. Also on Sunday, Ukraine Defense Minister Rustin Umarov said half of all Western, Western military support promised to Ukraine fails to arrive on time, complicating the task of military planners and ultimately costing the lives of soldiers in Russia's war. Umarov said each delayed aid shipment means Ukrainian troop losses and underscored Russia's superior military might. Commemorations to mark the second anniversary of the war on Saturday brought expressions of continued support, new bilateral security agreements, and new aid commitments from Ukraine's Western allies. But Umarov said that they still needed to deliver on their commitments if Ukraine is to have any chance of holding out against Russia. We look to the enemy. Their economy is almost $2 trillion, he said, adding that they use up to 15% of official and non-official budget funds for the war, which constitutes more than $150 billion. He said that whenever a commitment doesn't arrive on time, we lose people, we lose territories. Haley stays in race despite loss in South Carolina. Out of Troy, Michigan, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley says it's not the end of our story. Despite Donald Trump's easy primary win in South Carolina, her home state, where the one-time governor had long suggested her competitiveness with the former president would show. Defying calls from South Carolina Republicans to exit the race, Haley traveled Sunday to Michigan, which holds its primary on Tuesday. In the less than 24 hours following her Saturday night loss to Trump, Haley's campaign said that she had raised $1 million from grassroots supporters alone, a bump they argued demonstrates Haley's staying power and her appeal to broad swaths of the American public. But with Sunday also came the end of support for Haley's campaign from Americans for Prosperity, the political arm of the powerful Koch network. In a memo first reported by Politico and obtained by the Associated Press, AFP Action Senior Advisor Emily Seidel wrote that while the group stands firm behind our endorsement of Haley, it would focus our resources where we can make the difference, redirecting spending toward U.S. Senate and House campaigns and away from Haley's presidential bid. AFP Action endorsed Haley's campaign in November. In addition to the rally in vote-rich Oakland County, Michigan, northwest of Detroit on Sunday evening, she scheduled a Monday event in Grand Rapids, a Western Michigan Republican hub. And in the Digest short articles here, vigils held around U.S. for Oklahoma teen who died out of Edmond, Oklahoma. Vigils took place across the nation on Friday and Saturday for an Oklahoma teenager who died the day after a fight in a high school bathroom in which the non-binary student claimed to be a target of bullying. Nex Benedict, a 16-year-old Oklahoma student who identified as non-binary and used they-them pronouns, got into an altercation with three girls in an Owasso High School bathroom who were picking on Benedict and some friends. The girls attacked Benedict for pouring water on them, the teen told police in a video released Friday. Vigils for Benedict were held in Boston, Minneapolis, and Huntington Beach, California. Others were held or planned in several states, including Washington, New Jersey, New York, and Texas. 
Air Force member sets self on fire in D.C. It's out of Washington. An active duty member of the U.S. Air Force was critically injured Sunday after setting himself ablaze outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., while declaring that he will no longer be complicit in genocide, a person familiar with the matter told the Associated Press. The man, whose name wasn't immediately released, walked up to the embassy shortly before 1 p.m. and began began live-streaming on the video streaming platform Twitch, the person said. Law enforcement officials believe the man started a live stream, set his phone down, and then doused himself in accelerant and ignited the flames. At one point, he said he will no longer be complicit in genocide, the person said. The video was later removed from the platform, but law enforcement officials have obtained and reviewed a copy. The person was not authorized to publicly discuss details of the ongoing investigation and spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. And briefly... Catholics killed. At least 15 Catholic worshippers were killed in a Burkina Faso village on Sunday when gunmen attacked a community as they gathered for prayers in the country's conflict-hit northern region, church officials said. Pope Francis. Pope Francis was well enough on Sunday to celebrate his weekly Anglis prayer from the Vatican window overlooking St. Peter's Square a day after canceling his engagements because of a mild flu. In his address, Francis also remembered with sorrow the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine. Warm weather. A warm front swept spring-like weather across a large swath of the country Sunday in what is usually one of the coldest months of the year, sending people out of their homes to enjoy the rare winter respite, but also bringing increased wildfire danger. Man freed. An 84-year-old Austrian man who traveled to Afghanistan last year and was arrested there was released by the country's Taliban rulers, the Austrian government said Sunday. Belarus election. Sunday's parliamentary para, I'm sorry. Sunday's parliamentary and local elections in Belarus are set to cement the hardline rule of the country's authoritarian leader, President Alexander Lukashenko, despite an opposition leader's call for a boycott. Protest note. Serbia on Sunday sent a protest note after Croatia's foreign minister described President Aleksandr Vucic as a Russian satellite in the Balkans. You are listening to the Cedar Rapids Gazette on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. I'm sorry. Did I say Cedar Rapids Gazette? I'm sorry if I did. This is the Sioux City Journal. So you're listening to the Sioux City Journal on IRIS. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now I'm going to turn to the sports. The top story, Suarez wins thrilling three-wide photo finish. This is out of NASCAR in Atlanta. Daniel Suarez hoped but wasn't certain he was the winner after the closest finish ever at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Then came the photo evidence. Suarez edged Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch in a three-wide blur at the line to win a crash-filled NASCAR Cup Series race on Sunday. 
The second career win in 253 cup races for Suarez set off a celebration that included a long series of congratulations from other drivers for the popular native of Monterey, Mexico. It was a very special moment, said Suarez, who entered this contract year with his future seemingly uncertain with track house racing. I was just hoping. I saw the tower and thought I was first. I thought I had it, but then they said there was a review. The review confirmed the first win for Suarez since June of 2022 at Sonoma. It was his first victory on a speedway, but he said he's not satisfied after locking up a spot in the playoffs in only the second race of the year. Some people actually told me, you can relax, now you're in the playoffs, Suarez said. Hell no, my goal is to win more than one race. This is not relaxing here. The goal is for you to not be surprised when the 99 is in the victory lane. Bush, who won Saturday's trucks race, moved to the middle between Blaney, the 2023 Cup champion, and Suarez to set up the dramatic finish. Blaney was second, only 0.003 seconds behind, and Bush was third. It was fun racing, but just a couple inches short, Blaney said. I'm happy for Daniel, though. That was fun racing him and Kyle. That was fun. Suarez gave credit to Bush, another Chevrolet driver, for providing a late push. It's good to see Daniel get a win, Bush said. We were helping each other, being Chevy team partners and working together there. Shows that when you do have friends and you can make alliances, that they do seem to work, and that was a good part of today. A massive pileup of at least 16 cars on the second lap was the biggest in the history of Atlanta Motor Speedway and set the pace for a procession of wrecks. The crash left many cars heavily taped for the remainder of the afternoon. The intensity picked up when Austin Sindrick went to the bottom of the track in his team Penske Ford for a four-wide pass to take the lead with 50 laps remaining. Michael McDowell, who on Saturday won his first pole in his 467th start, won the first stage but collided with Daytona 500 champion William Byron while trying to slow down to enter pit row in the second stage. McDowell suffered right front damage and each car fell one lap behind before McDowell made his way back to the lead midway through the final stage. He finished eighth. In addition to Atlanta's closest finish, it was the closest finish at any one-and-a-half-mile track and the third closest cup finish since electronic scoring was established in 1993. There were 10 cautions and an Atlanta record 48 lead changes. Todd Gilliland led 58 laps, the most of his career, and especially notable for a third-year driver who led a combined 11 laps in his first two seasons. He finished 26th. The 23-year-old Gilliland, a North Carolina native, looked at home on the Atlanta track with a Georgia Peanuts logo on the hood of his front-row motorsports Ford. And in college basketball, men's top 25 recap. St. John's upsets number 15, Creighton. Out of New York, dressed in white from head to toe, Rick Pitino and his St. John's players handed number 15, Creighton, a humbling defeat. Dennis Jenkins scored a season-high 27 points, and St. John's shredded the, B- the Blue Jays 80-66 to on Sunday for its best win yet under the Hall of Fame coach. Jordan Dingle added 18 points, and the Red Storm, whose record is 16-12 and 8-9 and in the Big East, finally closed out a quality conference opponent following a string of blown leads. They put together a clinical performance from start to finish in front of a roaring, chanting crowd of 12,061 at Madison Square Garden, 
making all 10 free throws and racking up 24 assists to only three turnovers while holding the Blue Jays, whose record is 20-8 and and 11-6 and in conference, to 6-for-26 shooting, 23% from three-point range. I think we learned a lot tonight what great basketball looks like, said Patino, who is in his first season at St. John's. On the sideline, the 71-year-old Patino looked a little like Colonel Sanders in his all-white suit and shoes as the Red Storm encouraged a whiteout among fans on Johnny's Day at MSG. I actually wasn't going to wear it. It was a last-minute thing, Patino said, explaining that his wife prodded him repeatedly. My players were going to get a big kick out of it, and that's why I did it. So on Saturday afternoon, he strolled over to the Armani store a half block from his apartment and asked for a little help picking out some new digs. I couldn't fit in the old one, Patino said, drawing laughs. He came out with that on. You can't lose, said Jenkins, who shot 12 for 18 and added six assists, two steals, and two blocks. Joel Soriano had 12 points, seven rebounds, and five assists for the Red Storm, who entered 0-5 against top 25 opponents this season. Glenn Taylor Jr. finished with a team-high 10 rebounds and six assists. Anytime we tried to be a little bit more aggressive, they made the extra pass and turned a good shot into a better shot, Creighton coach Greg McDermott said. They moved it so well today. Trey Alexander scored a season-best 31 points for the Blue Jays, who had won four straight and seven of nine. They were coming off an eye-opening blowout of UConn at home Tuesday night that ended the Huskies' 14-game winning streak and marked the program's first victory over a top-ranked team. Number three, Purdue 84, Michigan 76. Zach Eddy matched a season high with 35 points and had 15 rebounds, helping the Boilermakers, whose record is 25-3 and 14-3, and 14-3 and in the Big Ten, bounce back from a rough start to beat the host Wolverines, whose record is 8-20 and 3-14 and and in the conference. Purdue is closing in on a conference championship, building a two-and-a-half game lead over number 12 Illinois with three regular season games left on its schedule. Doug McDaniel had 19 points for Michigan, which moved closer to clinching last place with its fifth straight loss. And number seven, Marquette, 88, Xavier, 64. Cam Jones celebrated his 22nd birthday by scoring 34 points for a second straight game, and the Golden Eagles, whose record is 21-6 and 12-4 and and in the Big East, trounced the slumping Mus- Musketeers 13-14, and they're 7-9 in the conference, in Milwaukee. Jones shot 11-17 of 17 overall and 6-10 of 10 on three-point attempts. Tyler Kolick added 11 points, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds to help Marquette win for the 10th time in 11 games. Trey Green scored 16 points for Xavier, which lost its fourth straight. Turning to the PGA Tour, Knapp holds on to win Mexican Open earns master's spot. This is out of Vallarta, Mexico. PGA Tour rookie Jake Knapp lost a four-shot lead in seven holes and then held it together with a remarkable short game Sunday, closing with an even par 71 to win the Mexico Open at Vedanta, and earn a trip to the Masters. Knapp said he still sends a text after each round to his grandfather, who died last year, and this message might require a lot of detail. He didn't hit a fairway until the eighth hole and found only two the entire round. He never lost the lead, but twice allowed Sammy Valamaki of Finland to match him. 
They were tied with six holes to play until Knapp took over, getting up and down on four of the next five holes, one of them for birdie. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I could feel my heart racing, he said. I was more excited to get things going. I wasn't worried about performing. Maybe I should have been. T to green, Knapp had his worst performance, but he spent extra time Saturday night on his short game, and it won the day for him. We talked about it last night. If the ball striking is off, we're going to have to trust our hands. And we did that, grinding out some pretty tough pars, he said. It wasn't easy until the end. Another big par save on the par 3, 17th, gave Knapp a two-shot lead, going to the par 5, closing hole, Fayarda Vedanta. Valamaki, needing Eagle to have a chance, hit his drive down the right side off a cart path, and it nestled next to a boundary fence. He had to take a penalty drop, effectively ending his chances. Valamaki made par for a 69 to finish runner-up, still a big boost to his rookie season. Valamaki was among the leading 10 players from the European Tour to earn PGA Tour cards this year. Maybe just a couple more putts drop in, Valamaki said. I feel like I have the game to win over here. It just wasn't this Sunday. And in the... Major League Baseball notes, Bellinger returning to Cubs. Outfielder agrees to $80 million three-year deal. Cody Bellinger is going back to the Chicago Cubs, agreeing to an $80 million three-year contract, a person familiar with the deal told the Associated Press. The deal is pending a physical. The slugger can opt out of the deal after each of the first two seasons. Bellinger is set to make $30 million this year and then $30 million in 2025 if he stays with Chicago and $20 million in 2026 if he doesn't opt out of the contract. Bellinger was among five significant free agents represented by Scott Boris, who went into spring trading without agreements. Pitchers Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, third baseman Matt Chapman, and designated hitter J.D. Martinez remain on the market. It was a much different experience than last season when Bellinger finalized a $17.5 million one-year deal with the Cubs in December of 2022. He then declined his end of a $25 million mutual option for 2024 and rejected a $20,325,000 qualifying offer from Chicago after a resurgent performance. Healthy again after years of injuries, Bellinger regained the form that made him one of baseball's biggest stars at the beginning of his career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He hit a career-best 307 with 26 homers, 97 RBIs, and 20 steals in 130 games in 2023. The 28-year-old Bellinger helped power the Cubs into playoff contention before the team faded in September. He had 48 RBIs in one 45-game stretch from August 1st to September 19th. He's part of this club. He's one of us. There was a little void in here for sure before he came back, pitcher Kyle Hendricks told reporters at the team's spring training facility in Arizona. Just seeing him in here, man, getting a hug, smiling. I know he'll be back to work soon. But yeah, just seeing his body, seeing his face in here was just amazing. Bellinger also gave Chicago a lift with his defensive versatility. He won a gold glove in 2019 for his work in center and also plays a solid first base. He likely will be in center on opening day this year, giving top prospect Pete Crow Armstrong more time to develop. Just the impact that Bellinger had on our group last year from a personality standpoint, from a versatility standpoint, 
And then obviously his ability to produce at a high level really made our team and put ourselves in position to have some success last year, shortstop Dansby Swanson said in Arizona. And that's something that we've been looking forward to being able to get back. And briefly, the Yankees, Marcus Stroman threw two and a third innings in his first spring training start with New York, giving up three runs, four hits, and a walk against the Philadelphia Phillies. The 32-year-old grew up on Long Island, about 55 miles from Yankee Stadium. Yankees left-hander Carlos Rodon threw two and two-thirds innings against the Toronto Blue Jays, giving up just one hit and one run in his first spring training start. The Phillies eight-hander Aaron Nola worked two perfect innings for Philadelphia in his first spring training start since signing a $172 million seven-year off-season deal to remain with the Phillies. Nola struck out three during a 33-pitch outing against the Yankees. And with the Mets, right-hander Kodai Senga won't throw for about three weeks as the team sees how his ailing shoulder responds to a platelet-rich plasma injection. Senga had a stellar rookie season for New York in 2023, finishing with a 12-7 record and a 2.98 ERA. And... Let's go to the NBA. Jokic's third straight triple-double helps Nuggets sweep Warriors. Uh, San Francisco, Nikola Jokic had 32 points, 16 rebounds, and 16 assists for his third straight triple-double and 18th of the season, leading the Denver Nuggets past the Golden State Warriors again in a 119-103 victory Sunday night. Jokic hit a... Stephen Curry like 40-footer as Denver rallied back for a 130-127 win at Chase Center on January 4th, then topped Curry and company Sunday to sweep the four-game season series. Jokic shot 13 for 24 on the way to his 122nd career regular season triple-double. The Bucks 119, 76ers 98. Giannis Antetokounmpo scored 30 points, Damian Lillard had 24, and Milwaukee won in Doc Rivers' return to Philadelphia. Rivers was fired by the 76ers after last season. Pacers 133, Mavericks 111. Miles Turner scored a season-high 33 points, Tyrese Halliburton added 17 points, and Indiana snapped visiting Dallas's Western Conference best seven-game win streak. Suns 123, Lakers 113. Grayson Allen scored 24 points, Kevin Durant added 22, and Phoenix pulled away in the fourth quarter to defeat visiting Los Angeles, which got 28 points from LeBron James. Cavaliers 114, Wizards 105. Jared Allen had 22 points and 12 rebounds. Karis LeVert added 18 points and 12 boards. And Cleveland won in Washington to avoid its first three-game skid since December. Thunder 123, Rockets 110. Shy Gilius Alexander scored 36 points, and Chet Holmgren added 29 to lead Oklahoma City over host Houston. It's the fifth straight win for the Thunder. Bulls 114, Pelicans 106. Nikola Vucevic had 22 points and 13 rebounds for his 31st double double this season. And Chicago swept the season series with host New Orleans. DeMar DeRozan had 24 points. Jazz, 128, Spurs, 109. Lori Markinen 
scored 26 points, and Utah beat visiting San Antonio to snap a five-game skid. Victor Wimbanyama had 22 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 blocks for the Spurs. Hornets 93, Trailblazers 80. Nick Richards had 21 points and 10 rebounds, and Charlotte won in Portland for the first time in 2008. The Blazers struggled from three-point range, going one for 26. The Kings 123, Clippers 107. De'Aaron Fox scored 33 points. Domantas Sabanis had his NBA-leading 20th triple-double, and Sacramento defeated host Los Angeles. Hawks 109, Magic 92. DeJounte Murray had 25 points, 11 assists, and 9 rebounds as Atlanta beat visiting Orlando. And the NHL. Jets extend Coyotes' skid to 12 games out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Kyle Connor scored his second goal of the game on a 3-on-1 break in overtime to give the Winnipeg Jets a 4-3 victory over Arizona on Sunday night, extending the Coyotes' losing streak to 12 games. Connor scored from the right side after two Arizona players fell deep in the other end of the ice after a failed breakaway attempt. Mark Schifley had a goal of three assists, uh, had a goal and three assists. Gabriel Velarde also scored, and Josh Morrissey had three assists. Connor Hellebuck had 29 saves to help Winnipeg improve to 36 and 15 and five with its third straight win and sixth in seven games. Nick Schmaltz scored twice, and Matthias Michelli added a goal for Arizona in the opener of a five-game trip. The Coyotes are 0-10-2 during the skid. Penguin 7, Flyers 6, Drew O'Connor and Ricard Raquel scored less than two minutes apart in the third period to break open a tied game, and Pittsburgh held off visiting Philadelphia. Sidney Crosby had a goal and three assists. Red Wings 3, Blackhawks 2 in overtime. Patrick Kane scored on a breakaway at 1 minutes 43 seconds into overtime in his return to Chicago, lifting Detroit to a victory. Kane was all alone when he got the puck before skating in and beating Peter Merzak. Lightning 4, Devils 1. Nikita Kucherov had a goal and three assists to lead Tampa Bay over host New Jersey. Kucherov is the first player in the league to reach 100 points this season. He has 38 goals and 64 assists. Blue Jackets 4, Rangers 2. Jack Roslevic scored the tie-breaking goal in the second period, and Columbus snapped visiting New York's 10-game franchise record-tying win streak. Sabres 3, Hurricanes 2. And S.O. I don't, I'm not sure what that means. Some kind of overtime. Casey Middlestat scored in the fourth shootout round. Ah, shootouts. And Buffalo beat visiting Carolina to extend its win streak to a season-best three straight. Predators 4, Ducks 2. Philip Forsberg gave Nashville the lead early in third period, and the Predators held off host Anaheim. Okay, we're now going to turn to Ask Amy. Boyfriend's hoarding messes with relationship. Dear Amy, Dave and I have dated for four years. We love each other and are both committed to our relationship. Although we have both agreed not to marry, having survived devastating divorces, we have talked at length about consolidating our homes and moving in together. My trepidation has completely paralyzed me. Dave is a professional who earns an extremely good living. He is very particular in his dress and grooming. His house, however, is a nightmare. I believe that he is an extreme hoarder. He lives amid overwhelming clutter in every room, as well as throughout his multiple garages. 
We had discussed the possibility of his moving into my house. I keep my house fairly neat and organized. I am very afraid of his turning my home into the likes of his. I also fear that my impatience with his disorganized habits would eventually lead to the breakup of our relationship. We have also entertained the idea of selling both of our homes and jointly purchasing a townhouse or condominium in a gated community and making a fresh and clean start, although my concerns about his lifestyle persist. However, real estate brokers have told him that in his present state, his house cannot even be shown to prospective buyers. He can't seem to find any time to get to this task, despite the fact that he has reduced his work schedule to allow for two days off during the week. I find it very unlikely that our relationship can ever progress beyond what it is now, and I am terribly frustrated and disappointed. Your advice? And that was from Concerned. Amy says, Dear Concerned, your description of Dave's home does indicate that he has a serious hoarding disorder. And no, you should absolutely not combine households unless he receives successful treatment and demonstrate that he is in long-term remission. Living with a hoarder is extremely stressful and unhealthy for all the reasons you are already experiencing. If he moves into your home, or if you two move into a new place together, Dave will likely hold onto his house and storage buildings because he won't be able to part with possessions and his property is unsellable. He will then expand his hoarding into any household you two share. Hoarding is not a character flaw, but a heartbreaking mental health disorder. The National Alliance on Mental Illness connects hoarding with obsessive-compulsive disorder. Hoarding Cleanup provides a directory of fee-based cleanup services and mental health providers specializing in hoarding behavior. And that is at hoardingcleanup.com. Dear Amy, I was surprised by your response to a worried uncle who was about to host his heavily vaping teen daughter for a week. You suggested he should not police her for vaping products. I disagree. Policing is exactly what this girl needs. And that was from Disappointed. Amy says, Dear Disappointed, the uncle has already stated the no vaping rule while at his house. That should be enough. And let's look a look. Take a look at Today in History. Today's highlight, on February 26, 1993, a truck bomb built by Islamic extremists exploded in the parking garage of the North Tower of New York's World Trade Center, killing six people and injuring more than 1,000 others. The bomb failed to topple the North Tower into the South Tower as the terrorists had hoped. Both structures were destroyed in the 9-11 attack eight years later. On this date in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte escaped from exile on the island of Elba and headed back to France in a bid to regain power. In 1904, the United States and Panama proclaimed a treaty under which the U.S. agreed to undertake efforts to build a ship canal across the Panama Isthmus. In 1942, How Green Was My Valley won the Academy Award for Best Picture of 1941, beating out nine other films including The Maltese Falcon and Citizen Kane. In 1945, authorities ordered a midnight curfew at nightclubs, bars, and other places of entertainment across the nation. In 1952, Prime Minister Winston Churchill announced that Britain had developed its own atomic bomb. In 1966, South Korean troops sent to fight in the Vietnam War massacred at least 380 civilians in Godai Hamlet. In 1998, a jury in Amarillo, Texas, rejected an $11 million lawsuit brought by Texas cattlemen who blamed Oprah Winfrey's talk show for a price fall after a segment on food safety that included a discussion about mad cow disease. In 2005, Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak 
ordered his country's constitution changed to allow presidential challengers in an upcoming fall election. In 2012, Trayvon Martin, 17, was shot to death in Sanford, Florida, during an altercation with Neighborhood Watch volunteer George Zimmerman, who said he acted in self-defense. Zimmerman was later acquitted of second-degree murder. In 2013, a hot air balloon burst into flames during a sunrise flight over the ancient Egyptian city of Luxor and then plummeted 1,000 feet to earth, killing 19 tourists. In 2014, Republican Arizona Governor Jan Brewer vetoed a bill pushed by social conservatives that would have allowed people with sincerely held religious beliefs to refuse to serve gays. In 2016, New Jersey Governor Christie stunned the Republican establishment by endorsing Trump for president. Now I'm going to turn to entertainment news. Camilla Cabello felt kind of lonely after breakup. Camilla Cabello has felt kind of lonely as she gets used to life after her breakup. The Havana hitmaker who split from ex Sean Mendez in 2021 before briefly rekindling their romance last spring is pouring her emotions into her new music as she finds herself wrestling with her feelings. While stopping short of confirming whether the new songs are about her relationship with Mendez, she told Puss Puss Magazine, It's me sitting with this feeling of understanding that I feel really confused as a 26-year-old who I really felt I was in love with this person. Now I feel kind of lonely and small and weird, but at the same time I'm an adult and I feel so strong in other areas of my life, but not this one. There's just the wrestling of those feelings without it being kind of neat or in a box. You can't really say that it's a sad song. You can't really pin it down. It's just kind of me wrestling with these feelings and me kind of being really present on a particular feeling and exploring it. I feel like a lot of songs on the album are that. Cabello and Mendez initially struck up a relationship in 2019 but called it quits in 2021. Greta Gerwig breaks her silence on Oscar's snub. Greta Gerwig is just happy to celebrate Barbie at the Oscars. The 40-year-old filmmaker was a notable admission for the Best Director shortlist at the upcoming Academy Awards, and while she is disappointed Margot Robbie missed out on a nomination for Best Actress, she insisted she isn't sad about being snubbed herself because the film is up for a total of eight accolades, including a Best Adapted Screenplay nod for herself and her husband, co-writer Noah Baumbach. She told Time Magazine, Of course I wanted it for Margot, but I'm just happy we all get to be there together. A friend's mom said to me, I can't believe you didn't get nominated. I said, But I did. I got an Oscar nomination. She was like, Oh, that's wonderful for you. I was like, I know. Despite the overwhelming box office success for Barbie around the world, Gerwig insisted it wasn't inevitable that it would be a hit. She said, I remember thinking, if this works, everyone is going to think later that it was inevitable. They'll say, well, but it was Barbie. But this was not guaranteed. Okay, and finally I'm going to read an article on gardening. Add pop with color blaze coleus. The excitement for spring planting is building at a feverish pitch and many are wondering what they can do to add more pop to the landscape. The answer just may be color blaze coleus. And I am not just talking a dab. A dab is precisely how a lot of you have looked at coleus. One little coleus here should do just fine. This prevalent thinking means we are underutilizing a terrific bedding plant, one that will be looking showy literally for months. 
In my Georgia's own eight garden, I am pretty much guaranteed 200 days of award-winning performance. By awards, I am talking about a bunch. The 18 varieties of color blaze coleus have won 383 awards and include more perfect scores than I have ever seen. The old days of looking for a shade or sun tolerance are gone for the garden guy. I just plant the color I want where I want. There are several ways to knock it out of the park with color blaze coleus. You can certainly reach true potential by mass planting at least seven in a large informal drift. Follow this up by planting companions in front. When Color Blaze Wicked Hot made its debut, I chose to use several, but be repetitive throughout the landscape, like we suggest with shrubs and even trees. Gosh, I've fallen for this idea, as it makes your eyes go from locale to locale in the garden, whereby you see the same flaming orange, but different companions. Doing this with even three, four, or five gives the thought to everyone who visits that you had a plan in mind. In other words, you knew what you were doing. The Color Blaze series are vegetatively produced varieties of coleus resistant to blooming until really late in the series, thereby providing nonstop vibrant color foliage from a spring until frost. Coleus prefer fertile, organic, rich, well-drained soil, a men-tight, heavy soil with 3 to 4 inches of organic material, tilling to a depth of 6 to 8 inches. Space plants as recommended per variety purchased. Keep the coleus watered and mulched during the growing season. Feed with a light application of slow-release 12-6-6 fertilizer a month after transplanting, and again in midsummer. Pinching in mid and late summer keeps the plant bushy. Since the early 1990s, the coleus has gone from an obscure plant to one of unprecedented popularity, largely thanks to varieties like the Color Blaze series. The old hairdressing commercial saying, a little dab will do it, may work for burl cream, but when it comes to Color Blaze coleus, go bold. That brings us to the end of today's reading of the Sioux City Journal. I'm your reader, Teresa Whitaker. Thanks for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.